Well, hello, bros. It's time. day of today this is james hall and welcome to restoring heroes real biblical manhood in a counterfeit world empowered by the war cry podcast network Woo! look here guys i have a whole lot to say in a little bit of time but before we can get to that i have to let you know that we have a special guest with us today on the day of today we have none other than or no other than David Chocolate Knox Shannon. Say hi to the people. Hey, what's up? See what opening, my goodness. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Oh, I don't I don't want to come out to anything else other than that. I, I, That's I, amazing. I love this guy. I love him. <laughs> you do that for everybody, you just doing that for me. Man, I, like I said, I do it every, I don't talk to anybody on the show that I don't enjoy talking to. That I don't really want to uh, talk to. I felt special. This is like, hey, Rosa. I'm like, what is going on? This is WWF. What's about to happen? Bro, here? that's my favorite. Oh, man. You never know. You done tapped into Ultimate Warrior. Uh, How he used to come into the st- on the, on the, on the mat was my favorite dude ever, bro. Ah, uh, yeah. 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 So I, I see what kind of show we about to have right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> David, want me to call you David or. Chocolate Knox, like you got to give me the ones. Yeah. It, it, it's up to you, man. You can call me David. You can call me Knox. You can call me Chocolate Knox. Um, I like Knox. There's, Knox there's, sounds better because yeah, I don't want to call you. Deli- was it delicious? What, was it uh, yeah, very- <laughs> delicious? Yeah, you know that's what happened. Actually, I was in a store and somebody was like, "You know, Chocolate Knox," and everybody turned around and says, "Looking like you can't t- call him Chocolate anything," <laughs> and so. And I had to like let everybody know it was okay. Like it was kind of it's a reform thing. They didn't know it didn't go over so well for that white dude. So I feel bad for him. But ever since then, everybody's like, "Hey, Knox!" And it's- <laughs> yeah, they cut off the chocolate. They're saying they're calling you nutritious <laughs> yeah, and stuff. He's so chocolatey mm-hmm. and chocolate Knox. Mm-hmm. Like you sensitive out here, chocolate. bro. Yeah, it's you know it's another way to be able to support you know your chocolateness. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, I, I ain't mad. You know. Hey, you got There's people see. <laughs> you I'm got that. You got problems. Oh, I don't have. I... Go ahead, man. Nah, man. So I, I, I guess the, the so what happened was the reason I got chocolate knocks. I was in seminary, Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and I was there. Uh, I didn't finish, so everybody knows because I realized it's probably better the people don't have me as a pastor, and so I saved a lot of people a lot of problems. By figuring it out real soon, because you know I love people, but I don't love them that much. Come on, I, I love people, but I don't, I, I don't love them that much. But anyway, I was this, so uh, Joseph Piper. We were in line for something, maybe getting some food or something like that, and, and a bunch of guys were there. I have a huge passion for the Black Church. My heart is there. I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, filled with the Holy Ghost Church, uh, and so I have a huge passion to see Reformation happen there in the church. And one of the models that I see is uh, John Knox of what he did with Scotland. And so I really love. He, he's like, give me Scotland or I die. And all my Twitter handles like, give me the Black Church or I die. And his passion, his heart for his own people in Scotland, and to see God work uh, through. Through, uh, through his whole nation to his people was very attractive to me. And so I really adapted a lot of his vision and his view and, and his heart. And so my brothers in seminary knew that. And so my beard at the time was massive. And uh, uh, Joseph Piper came up and said, man, you're so big. We got to figure out what to name this thing. And so a couple names went around Calvin, of course, all the reform names and a buddy of mine just finally yelled out, you know, how about call it the chocolate Knox? And Joseph Pipe was like, chocolate Knox, that's what your beard is. So technically my beard is named chocolate Knox and I just walk around with the title. So that's how I got the chocolate Knox. <laughs> that is the most, I have no idea. <laughs> that is the name of your yeah, beard, you know, but I didn't, uh, that, that, your heart yeah. for the church that that makes sense and once once you said it, i'm like oh okay that makes total sense the chocolate knox like right. not yeah. the vanilla knox from scotland no no the chocolate one 
Well, and that's what, you know, that was the thing. It was like, it always, when I hear Chocolate Knox, it always reminds me kind of of, you know, my heart and passion for the black church. I, growing up there and being a part of the black church, I, I know so many people who have a huge passion for the Lord, who love God in every way. And, and still there's almost reminds me of some of the early Christian world where there wasn't a whole lot of doctrine that was really, um, uh, leading the way you know a huge passion huge heart but not a whole lot of um biblical doctrine that is guiding that particular uh uh, genre and so when i started finding reformed theology man it was my first thing being in the charismatic church so my wife's grandmother was the pastor of our church Mm -hmm. and so my wife was leading worship. I was playing the drums. Her uncle was playing the organ. And so we were engaged in the front part of service constantly. And even to the point that I was ministering a lot, her uncle was ministering a lot. And so we were trying to bring a reformed uh, um, ecclesiology to our particular circle. And as we started to do that, we started to see the church grow because a lot of people had never heard of some of the things that we were talking about. I remember the first time that I heard reformed theology was on, in the context of somebody exegeting Genesis. And I remember thinking to myself, wait, you can believe this stuff all the way to the point that you don't have to argue outside of the Bible to prove the Bible. The Bible itself is self-authenticating and I can trust it. Hmm. And then that, that, that messed up my whole world. And I was like, what else am I actually doing this with what I'm not actually holding the Bible to what it says about itself. Um, and it messed up my whole world. Apologetics was a huge way to get me out of the charismatic world into the more reformed world. So I have a huge passion for my people that are still there. Amen. Amen. So not only, um, it does his nickname, um, breed, breathe terror in the kingdom of darkness, but he also, you also do a, um, a a podcast have a have a network of podcasts have a youtube show called cross politic um that you do with two other guys what what is the story behind cross politic well cross politic started because of gabe wrench who we all call the water boy sits on the left side of me here uh he basically said you know with most most christians right now go to church and they hear the word of god preached and then they leave that pastor for the next six days and listen to somebody like Rush Limbaugh exegete the Republic, the Republican Party's talking points. Hmm. And to the point that the Christian's worldview is mostly modeled after Rush Limbaugh and less after their pastor because they're only hearing him once or so a week. And so he said, you know, for, for Christians, we want our talking points politically to be anchored in God's word. And so we wanted to be able to, in some way or another, fill in that gap. Um, so that Christians had a worldview that was represented by having to come in, in politics and to teach people how to use God's word in every aspect of life. So Gabe came to Toby and Toby jumped on and said, I'm absolutely a part of it. I want to do it. Gabe came to me and I told him, absolutely not. I don't want to do it. I've been in this industry before and I'm out. Mm. <laughs> mm. So, um they they uh they actually end up bringing me to the pastor's office to talk to me about it now if you know anything about a charismatic person black person the one place we ever no never 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 want to ever go is to the pastor's office right like we don't want to go like you take us into the pastor's office and have that talk we're like oh lord forgive me what i done did uh you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it is you you can almost get anything out of us and take us to the pastor's office and stuff i got in the pastor's office and pastor told me just like hey man like we want to do this show we just want you to do the tech stuff. I kind of knew before I went in that they were actually going to ask me again to do the show. So I, I talked to my wife about it a little bit beforehand. And I said, self, before I went in there, listen, if we can have an hour long conversation just at the drop of the dime about politics and God's word and God's law, then that's going to be the test for me if this is something I want to do. And we had a phenomenal conference for an hour and a half. And I, I said, you know what? Um, I think we should do this. And so we started doing this back in 2016 and God has just blessed it tremendously. Yeah. The, 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 if you don't know, they just got finished with a fight, laugh, feast rally. You call it a conference. They call it a rally. Yeah, it's a rally. I I shouldn't call it a conference. Our first conference was last year in Tennessee um, that we did and um, the fight, laugh, feast conference. And then we just figured after 2020, 
you know, she wanted to stand with Governor uh, Christine Nome in the sense that she didn't shut down. The only governor in America not <laughs> to actually pay attention to the Constitution and didn't shut down the state. And we wanted to plant our flag on those type of freedoms. And so we decided to host a rally um, in South Dakota. So. And so with that, um, if you don't know, they have a they have a um, fight last feast app and, and those things like that um, that you can connect with and 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 dive in, be a monthly subscriber and get all those talking um, points, which is really, really good. Um, so let's get into the nitty gritty of what I what I brought you here for. Let's do it. Um, yeah. How can men develop a biblical culture at home? Like what advice would you give to a man, mm. uh, to the heroes out there who are trying to develop a biblical culture at the house? Man, that's just, just going to jump right into the just deep might end. as well. The deep end, man, take me out to eat at least. Um, <laughs> no, you know, that that's a. I think that's a good question. That's something that I've been trying to figure out for years. Um, I think th I was thinking about this a little bit. I've been thinking about it a little bit with my wife. Um, I'm going to start probably in a very unique spot that probably most people won't like. Um, you're going to have to become a theonomist. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about civil magistrate stuff. I'm talking about the fact that you are a student of God's word. You understand God's word to such a way that you implement all of it in every aspect of your life, starting first with you, okay, the individual. Um, I, I think that we've kind of forgotten the importance of, everybody talks about family, everybody talks about the importance of family, but we've forgotten kind of the keystone of that importance of a family is a man that fears the Lord, a man that is, is, is absolutely um, kind of what God intended him to be from the beginning, which is someone who cultivates and someone who also protects those things that have been cultivated. Hmm. And so and, and and so to do that, what I mean by being a theonomist is you want to make sure that it's theonome, it's God's law, God's standard of everything. Um, and and it's applied to everything. First to yourself. Are you the kind of person who is saturated such in the word of God that when you speak, it's the thing that comes out? Well, what does God say about that? How does God view those things? Um, uh, Proverbs is something that's just naturally, you know, and here's a good example. When you go on Facebook and social media, it's Proverbs working through you. You know, <laughs> you're not acting like the fool. You know, those, those are the kind of things. Are you loving your wife? But I, I really want to focus first on just like yourself. A man that's not spending his time in the word of God, a man who's not thinking about God's laws and God's standard doesn't know then how to operate in this world. God, God's created the world in such a way that, if you do what he tells you to do, there are blessings there. And if you don't do what he's told you to do, the things don't work. They don't operate uh, properly. Right. They fall apart. And so you can expect curses all through um, whatever you're trying to operate in. It, it, you know, um, this is what's interesting about the current situation right now politically and just our world. All, uh, you can't operate outside and lockstep with God and think that it's going to be sustainable. Sin is never sustainable. Mm. You know, pornography never sustainable it, it it doesn't produce the kind of things that a man is supposed to produce you, you don't you're not cultivating anything with sinful lifestyles and so the first thing i want to think about is cultivating that man in the word of god is is he a person that has been filled up with the word of god in such a way that when he operates he operates in lockstep with what god has said wow. right so god's word is ruling every aspect of his life when he goes to work and this is something um I, you know, talk about policing right now. One of the things that police are not doing are separating themselves from each other according to righteousness. If a, if a, if a police officer is doing something that's sinful, uh, another police officer, a Christian police officer should be able to say, hey, man, we don't do that. Right. Like because he's anchored so much in the word of God that he's willing to stand up against someone who is doing wickedness. And it's not even a question for him. He hasn't even thought about necessarily the full consequences of it. He's just thinking about righteousness. Like mm. we don't operate that way. And you can't you can't do that unless you're saturated in God's word. Um, a dog, uh, Calvin talks about this a little bit. I'm going to take some of his words and rephrase it. But a dog can't help but bark when it comes to his master, right? He can't help it. Someone's coming in to violate or trespass or go beyond the boundaries that they're set. A dog's reflexes instantly are to bark, 
right? Right. Because he wants to warn his master and he wants to tell that perpetrator, you come here, you got a problem. And so um, that's part knowledge and understanding are part of the cultivation. But that knowledge and understanding is also a part of cultivating other people. So if you have a wife, if you have children, you're spending your time teaching them about the word of God. Hmm. You're spending your time disciplining them according to the word of God, not your wife necessarily, if you, but your kids. Right, but you're right, discipling. Right. You're discipling your wife in the word of God. I mean, you, you're saturated in such a way. I mean, it, there, it shouldn't even. And I know people are trying to figure out how do you do this with your timing. If you are saturated with it, it comes out naturally in your conversations. When you sit down to do dinner, when you when you walk along the way, like this Deuteronomy talks about, when you sit down, it just it starts coming out. It comes out in everything that you see. And so, in, in my house, some of the things that because I'm always engaged in politics, I'm engaged in in some sort of um, social media or social uh, construct of, of one another with uh, politics or liberalism. It, it's always coming out in my house with social justice or with um, uh, critical race theory. My kids are asking, what is that? Or economics, how does that work? What is uh, what is uh, what fiat, you know, <laughs> those kind of things. And so those are opportunities. So what, what does the Bible have? This is why I say being a theonomist, because what's, what does the Bible have to say about people making up their own laws about money? Is there something that the Bible says about that? What does the Bible say about stealing from somebody else? How do we deal with that? And so understanding God's word and God's law, you start applying it in such a way in your house that they become students of God's word and God's law. So when your kids are stealing something from each other, from, from each other, how do you work through that? What are the processes? Do we have anything scripturally that we should take and apply then to our kids? Say, so you're not supposed to steal because it's not loving your neighbor. You took this without asking and he busted you. So now you need to repay it and repay it upon a certain amount, right? What, are the, what is the amount that they're supposed to pay that back to their neighbor? And so you start discipling your children according to God's law. And then that starts working its way out into the culture. But just sticking with those two things. So a man saturated first in God's word and in, in, in God's law and applying that then to his family and teaching his family, you start cultivating this beautiful garden where your kids see everything in the world through God's standards and God's word and God's law and the beauty of it and the gospel. I don't want I'm not when I'm saying that I'm pushing that all together, the gospel. Yeah. Um, is the thing that's transformed us to be able to embrace it and obey it. But people forget, though, what? how are you sanctified? You're, you know, when you're obeying God's word, what are you obeying? Well, you're obeying the law. Right. That's what you're sanctified to. You're sanctified to obey God's law, right? So when, when um, if something was to go down where you're, you're still in something you, and you don't know it, you, know, you repent of that because you shouldn't do it, right? Um, if, you, um, if you break your neighbor's glass, you know, in his window, well— Hey, you pay for that, and then whatever else it needs is for the for the uh, thing that while it was broken, right? He lost work in the process because you broke his glass. Well, you owe that too. When you start working according to God's law, um, it cultivates uh, an environment not just in your home but outside of your home too, because that's how you operate. The world is actually designed and flows and functions to operate that way. So to get that that home culture, that that family, um, how did you phrase it? Uh, uh, biblical culture in the home, like a family culture, biblical family culture, something like that. Yeah, that biblical, you don't, yeah, yeah, you don't get that biblical family culture in the home apart from a standard. And God has given his word and given his law so that we can have that standard to do that. When, when we are spanking our kids, do we understand that spanking is the highest form of punishment in the house? That's the highest form, which means that not everything rises to the level of a spanking. You know, something that's if you think about spanking, it's like you need to think about spanking as that's a that's like your family death penalty. You know what I mean? Like that's ah, the like highest that. level that a parent can have. And so if that's the case, how do we then work down other punishments? Not everything deserves a spanking, right? Um, high high handed disobedience deserves spankings. High handed disobedience deserves spankings and God's law is usually in a point of restitution, restoring and making things right with the people that we've sinned against, right? That's what 
most of the time God's law is doing. And as we understand those things, the family house and the family government becomes a joyous place because there's not a whole lot of rules. You know, you're not creating a whole bunch of rules. There's very limited rules that govern the house and your job with your kids are not to try and get them to um, obey those rules. Your job as a parent, it should be as your own heart, is to love those rules. Love those rules and your kids, get them to love those rules. Like these are good rules. Man, look at that. You restored things back to your neighbor. You made it right with your neighbor. And now you guys can be in fellowship. That's a good thing. and then it's over with. It's over with. Oh my god! I there's never, no, no, I never thought about that like that. Never thought about yeah. um, the laws of God being um, when it comes to applying to the family being restored at first. Um, just because I'm still, you know, I'm 17 years married, and you still trying to get out the the way you were raised. So you, I mean, yep, you got hit for everything. <laughs> so I didn't even thought about like. Absolutely. The whooping being the 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 whooping being the the death penalty in the house. That is actually a good analogy for, um, you know how to balance things out. Man, that was that was some gems right there, man. I, I, that that was crazy. Um, keep on going. You know, one of the things that really happened. Uh, one of the things that he, oh yeah, just tell me when you want to. Tell me when to shut up. I'll let you tell Never. me when to shut just up. Keep on going. <laughs> One of the things that was really important for me and my wife to figure out was when to spank our kids. Um, And it was also important for us. I started noticing something that I couldn't work through political issues um, very well because I really couldn't work through home issues very well. And here's an example. You hear something happen in a room where, you know, you hear smack, you hear something and somebody starts crying. And the first thing that happens is usually we got to defuse the crying. We got to get the crying to stop because that's annoying. So you shut up. Why'd you do that? Everybody go sit down and nobody gets anything. So we just like become very tyrannical in those moments. We, we punish the whole room. I got seven kids. So you yeah. can punish all seven kids for something that happened between possibly one or two. But we don't have any idea of the story at all. And so we don't ask what happened. Who did it? Um, is there more than one witness? And hmm. did it deserve to happen? Right. So, like, if like that same situation happened outside, where my son's crying and comes in, and he says, "Hey, David hit me," and I'm like, "David, why'd you hit him? You don't need to be hitting him. You know what? You're in trouble." But the question is, did you hit him because it was justified? <laughs> right. So tell me the story, and then I listen to the story and start applying God's law to the situation. Well, Dad, I hit him. Because he hit a girl across the street with the ball and didn't say sorry. Well, well that's, that's, what you <laughs> that's get, just bro. good brotherly love. Right. But but if I come into the situation barreling down on I'm just mad because he hit him, I don't understand that my, bro- that my son is actually discipling my other son not to treat women a particular type of way. Mm. And so what I want to do is go in and say, son, you know what? The Probably the thing to do is not hit him in the back of the head with a branch just because that's a little too far. It's a little too far. <laughs> Is <laughs> you know why? Well, why don't you why don't you grab him by the neck and say no? You you're taught you you're going to dad. Don't be a vigilante justice on your own, right? Don't act vigilantly, mm-hmm. but come and now you don't get to treat women that way. I'm going to take you to the authority who actually can give you proper justice and let him know what you've done. And then I have a witness. I have two witnesses, the girl. Now I got to talk to her and her parents, figure out what happened. Talk to my son. Now I got two witnesses. Now I prosecute the trial. I pronounce judgment. He goes and make things right to the girl and to her family. And then we move on from there. And so when I understood how to work through those kind of situations biblically in my home, now I'm able to take those things and work them out in the civil realm. Okay. So where are some places um, cause you open up a can of worms. I didn't even think about. So you go, do you go to Deuteronomy, uh, or do you go, where do you go to get those principles? Cause I read through the, the Pentateuch and all those other things. Um, but I never thought about those applying now. Um, because there's a whole lot yeah. of stuff in like right. in Leviticus and numbers and the rubies and, and the, uh. the cords of red and, and, and that's, and you make the flowers of, you know, there's a whole lot of that stuff in there, but I never thought about the law applying, uh, directly like that. 
Well, here, here's here's some couple areas people always think about the Old Testament. First of all, I want to say you don't get how God's law operates apart from using the Old Testament. You have to. So um, because what we see is God's standard Ten Commandments. And then what we see worked out of the case laws of how the Ten Commandments applies to all of the situations inside the Bible. So as we're going through Leviticus, you got Leviticus 18. Um, there are some laws that are ceremonial and uh uh, I'm trying to think of the other word for, it, but there's ceremonial laws that I believe Christ absolutely fulfills. And the I, I don't want to say also, does right? away with. I want to say fulfills. Yeah, absolutely. Those two. Thank you. Ceremonial sacrificial laws are fulfilled in Christ, but that doesn't mean that somebody can go then and sleep with a, a horse, <laughs> right? That law still applies. Right. 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 No matter how you, you much you think it you look don't good. get to dig up. You don't. <laughs> that's that's right. Um, you don't get to hit your mama in the face. And go around being a destructive child in society and not get stoned or killed. Uh, that law yeah, still applies, right? Right. So, right. so, so when Jesus is talking, here's a good example. When he's talking to the uh, in the New Testament uh, to the Jews, and they are not treating their parents properly, right? The issue of korban, they're sitting up there saving their money instead of taking care of their parents, and they're giving them, you know. Corban is the idea that once uh, I uh, my money is I'm gonna do donate it all to the church when I die. You know, so I'm saving aside my money so they don't actually have to use their funds to be able to take care of the elderly, their parents. Oh. And so they're not honoring their father and mother. And Jesus goes and says, "We don't you know?" And he's chastising the Pharisees that because of the not honoring their father and mother, he said, "You know, they deserve death." So Jesus taking the Old Testament law and the idea of the death penalty for children who are being um, who are who are uh, disobeying and and becoming a havoc for society, and he applies it to those people who are choosing not to honor their father and mother and taking care of them, and says, you know, they deserve death, mm. right? Another place you see in the New Testament, a lot of people don't like the particular one is when the lady who's caught in adultery. Right. What is what does Jesus do? He doesn't create some New Testament law. He says, where is the man and the witnesses? Anybody who is willing to commit uh, this woman to judgment, step forward because you're you're we he's saying that, listen, if you are going to say this woman committed adultery, you are a witness of this person. Right. Oh so now goodness. we need two or three witnesses. If you're a lying witness, guess what you get? The judgment then that should be upon this woman. That's why no one stood up there because no one wanted to testify to the fact that they saw them because they probably didn't and they wanted to try and trick Jesus. But Jesus holds the law exactly, perfectly intact in that very moment. So that, and that's the how law I know, of God as it applies didn't go away. That's how I know that go sometimes ahead. we're not taught very well because that the the woman calling adultery is have always turned into if you have sin, if you if you sin, you can't say nothing about nobody else's sin. That's what turns out. That's what right. that that's nah, what it turns that's out to be. At all. That's crazy. And don't forget what he said too. He's like, he says, Woman, where are your accusers? Right? He's like, there are none, right? So, but notice what he says next. He says, Go and sin no more. So it wasn't that she was absolutely innocent. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But, but he did was, don't you get a chance. If you're going to try and hold her to the standard, I'm going to hold you to the same standard. Right. I'm going to hold you to the same standard, God's law. And, and when they wouldn't hold to that standard, it told on them that they really didn't fear God and his law. They were trying to use it as a way to, to hurt and harm other people without themselves being held accountable to it. And he blew that up on his face. Right. And so all that to say is that God's law, the application of God's law is something that it wasn't done away with. Um, we are we are actually sanctified by it. Mm. So this is what I was talking about earlier. Um, we, we forget that we grow in glory to glory because of the, the lovely maturing of God's law in us. As we choose to honor God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbor as ourself, that's we're sanctified by that. We don't lie. We don't steal. We don't cheat. Right. We, we observe the Lord's day. Right. We, we are we are um, not creating false images. And one of the things that um, Lemuel Haynes really helped me with this, and this is kind of going to some of the uh, a man who fears God kind of backbone stuff. 
whenever someone is choosing to usurp the authority of God and to tell you what to do outside of God's standard, that person has then placed themselves in the lawgiver position as God and told you to honor them above God. Right. And so the the, the first command and the second command, it's like, I'm not first going to create an idol and then obey that idol. And I'm not going to honor you as God. And so when we are stepping up against people who are tyrannical, what we're ultimately doing is pointing to the first and second um, commands of the law to not create a graven image and then to uh, fear the Lord, our God. Okay, okay. because you jump, you jump right into you jump further. That's my that's my fifth question. (laughs) But um, I do. I do have to ask you how what practical advice can you give to men? Um, to talk to their wives, to kind of lead their wives in building uh, what you're saying uh, from the law and, and, and building those type, that type of biblical, it was a theonomous culture in in the yeah. household, like coming with, okay, babe, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to go from this and this. How would you, what are practical tips and advice you can get from, give to the heroes or the men um, to help lead their wife? Because you can't go to your wife this is what we doing woman like you can't do that so yeah um what practical advice you have for men to help lead their wives in, into that how did you do that basically yeah um first first thing you do is you go and repent to god uh it's the first thing you do because you haven't been acting in such a way that is honorable and leading your home and god is disciplining you for it in a good way mm-hmm. and convicting your heart the last, the last thing you want to do is to be that horrible master that's been forgiven much and then goes and be a tough taskmaster on your servant underneath you. Or in this case, going to be a tough master to your wife. Like, hey, this is what you're going to start doing. And the second thing you need to do is you need to go to your wife and you say, baby, I'm sorry. I have not honored God in my responsibilities. I have been lazy in these things. I've just been ignorant in those things and I didn't know. And God has been working on me in my heart. And I want to come to you and let you know, I'm sorry for not honoring God this way and modeling it to you. And you you model what leadership looks like. You model the kind of man that is willing to accept the fact that he's been sinful mm. in this, stepped up to the plate. And when you humble yourself in that type of way and repent, you are creating a culture of repentance that is probably not necessarily permeating in your home right now. And so... When you do that, you 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 come to her, and and guys have a tendency to go off and learn a whole lot of biblical theology, and to come back and start implementing real hardcore on their families. Right. And you know we we do that, and but we what we never do is bring our wives along with us in the process. You know, it's like, babe, I just read this book. We should go through this. Um, and actually, to even go further, we're not discipling our wives in such a way that um, if we have to do that, we're already missing it. Our wives are not coming along with us theologically. I made that mistake. I, I started learning things and I started, man, okay. And I started implementing them. And I didn't let my wife know what we were doing. She's like, I thought the plan was this over here. Well, that's bad leadership. <laughs> that's just flat true, out true. bad leadership, right? Um, and so what I needed to do was learn these things let them permeate and convict my heart, study them a little more while I'm going to my wife and say, baby, I'm going to tell you something. I need to ask for forgiveness. God is revealing some things to me and I want to talk with you about these things. I want to bring these things to the table and let you know that some things here are going to have to change if we're going to honor God the way that he's called us to honor him. And I'm going to be the first person to model what this um, honorable leadership before God looks like. And when you do that, man, and you align properly, your wife is going to see that and be like, that's a man I want to follow. That's that. That's the guy. That's yeah. the guy right yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Babe, whatever you want to do, I'm in. You love Jesus. I love Jesus. Let's go. Let's love Jesus together. I'm sorry. I wasn't the wife. I should have been. Let's do it, babe. That's what's going to happen. And, 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 and I know it doesn't always happen like that, but when you do that, though, what you're doing as a federal head of your home is you're coming before God and you're making everything right. Amen. And you're not, you don't start pull, pulling off at the bottom because you can't get to the bottom. You pull off things from the very, very top. Baby, forgive me. I haven't loved you well. I haven't treated you the best. I haven't honored you the way that God has told me to honor my wife. All those things, you you come from the very top and you repent of it all and you get it all out there. And then with that laid, now you can start saying, 
honey, here's what I've been learning. And work is work your way down from there. That's practical, practical stuff. Um, so with with the we talked about the, with the kids and at home, we talked about you dealing with the you first. You know, if you want to be a theonomist, you deal with you you first, then you spread it to the kids and your wife and things like that. So, what are some activities that you do? I heard about this Sabbath feast, um, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm in my mind. It's like you know. Have you saw that movie Hook, where they like got the food all over the? the have you saw the movie Hook with Robin Williams? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have the table and they got the the food and all over the place and things like that. Um, that's what I'm thinking. Is that is that what the Sabbath feast feast is? It's like a. It's every Sunday. It's a spread like Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean that's 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 what happens. But what it is is actually warfare. What? Um, Come on, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Let me. I'll get there. We want because so, here's the. <laughs> um, when um, people forget that the the family itself is God's plan to populate the world with His likeness and His image and His laws, and mm-hmm. so the family is to go out and to turn the rest of the world into the garden. Oh, now. Um, so when people, so when we're talking about, there's a few things I want to mention. There's I'm starting back so far. I feel like I'm never going to get there, but I'll try. You just, Hey, ask me whatever I leave out. Okay. So if I leave out some, you just go for it. I got you. So I have to go back to the structure of the family. Um, what, what we're saying in some of this, and, and this is going to make some of my Baptist friends a little nuts is that this family belongs to God, all of it, the wife, the husband, and the kids so um covenantally that whole family is not autonomous they function the way that god says that they should function your kids actually belong to god so um when, when, when we're feasting we're not feasting with me and my wife who are christian and my kids who are pagans no those kids are underneath the covenant of god first corinthians 7 the unsanctified spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse so that the kids might be made holy. They are set apart. They belong to the Lord. When Moses had children um, and Israel had children, the children weren't autonomous. They belonged to God, which is why they carried the mark from the beginning. And that hasn't changed. Your kids have always belonged to God. And so huh. what we're so and here, go ahead. No, nah, I just I was just going. Okay. Huh? Yeah. And, and, and they have, they've always belonged to God because, um, the kids are the future, uh, uh, cultivators of the next garden too, right? That's what, that's what they're doing. They're learning from you. That's why Deuteronomy is telling you that you're responsible for their education to let them know what their duties are before God, okay. to honor God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to love the neighbor as herself, right? And uh, and who is their Lord? You're taught to raise and train your kids to teach them who their Lord is. Amen. Not that they don't have one. So mm. this is why we baptize our kids because they belong to Jesus, right? They are the Lord's kids. And so we raise them like that. When we spank our kids, Kids, we're spanking God's kids because they should be obeying him and they're not obeying him. And so we're discipling them with the rod to obey her. And so <laughs> like you can't discipline um, when you're disciplining your kids. What standard are you holding them to? Local standard, holding them to God's standard because you're assuming by default they're already in the covenant. They are covenant kids. And so what we're looking forward to as we continue to disciple is to see that covenant fruit be produced in them as we keep going, just like in a lot of ways it was produced in people who are in the Old Testament. So they got the sign of the covenant and then God would transform their hearts as they begin to live underneath that covenant teaching. And so that Sabbath Sabbath feast is with covenant people to praise God for the work that they've been doing um, throughout the week. So one of the things that makes the Sabbath feast so enjoyable um, is that we work hard through the week. It's not something that we just come and say, hey, a whole bunch of feasting is going on. No, 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 no. We are asking God every day 
when we lift up, we lift our hands up and we say, God, fill these hands with work so that we can go out there and make the world like the garden. So whatever we're doing out in the world, whatever we're doing out there in our jobs and our in our vocations, we are building the kingdom of God um, for Him. We are we are exercising the fruit of the gospel in our hands in the world. We're not working autonomously. It's not just the pastor's job that counts. It's everybody's job that counts. Amen. It's the mechanic's Amen. job that counts. He's building the kingdom as he's changing tires. And he's doing such a great job because he's doing it as unto the Lord. And when our kids are going to be educated, they're being educated in the things of God so that they can operate and be better than us in the next step as they go to take dominion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we're working, we're taught to work extremely hard throughout the week so that we can come Sabbath feast and say, ah, God has been so good to us. God is such, thank you, Lord. We're giving it back to him and say, God bless this work. And then in that feasting, we're reminding our kids that this is what it will be like when it's all said and done. This is the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. This is what it's like to fellowship at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and so um, we want to, best we can, um, this is discipleship. I'm jumping around, so just jump in here anywhere you want because uh, I see your face is twisted. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm, it's good stuff, bro. Uh, one thing um, I wanted to ask is like you hit, you said one thing that the feast is warfare let's let yes that's that's the juice like let me know how feasting yeah. is is part of our warfare against the kingdom of darkness well we're, we're modeling in one another the same thing that should be happening every sunday at our churches every sunday the lord invites us into his feast Every Sunday when we partake of communion, that's what communion is. That is that's a love feast with the Savior. Mm. Um, that is partaking in the, the new Passover, right? That's And so when we're being fed, that go out then with that sustenance that feeds us, and we go out and proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and we go out and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded. Mm. That love that happens on Sunday— is uh, a form of uh, Doug calls it worship is warfare. That's as God has set things out in heaven, we're asking heaven to come down to earth and to permeate the earth the same way that heaven is with that feast. And our home love feast are our little microcosms of trying to do that, right? It's a model of that. We're modeling that same thing inside of our love feast. So, um, my kids, when they come to my table on Sabbath dinner, we're reminding them in singing of Psalms that the world belongs to Jesus, that our enemies are defeated, that we should be faithful in little things and God will make us ruler over many things. We're reminding them that the gospel is going forth. We're reminding them of the love that we have. We're reminding them that that food tastes good because Christ is good. We're reminding them that world, I mean, I do little things. We'll have, we want to have very, very good tasting food because I want there, when you were a kid, you would smell a food and it would tie your allegiances to a particular place. So if you had a big mom house and she cooked chicken or she cooked like cat, whatever it was, the smell of walking in big mom house would immediately tie your allegiances to her in a particular type of way. And so Sabbath feasting is, is to tie uh, our kids' allegiances to the Lord Jesus Christ in a particular type of way that they are bold and strong warriors um, as they go out into the world and, and mature up in this faith. Oh does that make sense? Amen. Yes, and it so, does. It makes total sense. So, you know, we, we want to, that, that moment, that, that, you know, birthday parties are so, uh, we work on them because they're memorable. We want them people to remember certain birthdays and some birthdays are more important than other birthdays, right? So turning 21, turning 18, you know, oh, you're turning 12, you know, 13 years old. Um, there's allegiances that we let the world have with our kids that turns them into warriors for the other side, Ooh. Ooh. right? And so the world already knows that, feasting and partying and um, certain forms of um, commitments to sinful desires, right? Uh, 
taking, for instance, marijuana and using it to the point that it's sinful, that's tying their allegiances to some way to make them enslaved to sin. And then they become walking zombies fighting us uh, by, before it's all said and done. So the idea of your kids being engaged in warfare is inescapable. But the question is, what's going to be the fuel and the passion and the glory that you're going to put um, before your kids so they become uh, warriors for God's kingdom in the simple things? And I don't mean that just in like, you know, pastoring. I mean, in writing code for computers or, you know, full, full orb, you know, somebody who's making a good T-shirt, you know, people love to wear because God is beautiful. Right. Mm. Uh, and he's us. I mean, th- 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 there's not one thing that's left on the table as it relates to um, the lordship of Jesus Christ in, in all of the world. So this is good, feasting is, well, praise God, the feasting is just a part of um, reminding our kids of the beauty and the joy of God as we go off into battle. So I think I think warfare. I think sometimes like I mean, even I I forget and I'm just talking for me. I forget that. When when Jesus, when you say and when we say Jesus is Lord, that means he's Lord over us in the atoms of our bodies. Like he's Lord over flavor. He's Lord over sound. He's Lord over over all that. And it, it's blowing my mind because I never I never thought about connecting all those things to bring about the beauty of of hey kids this is your heritage you know this is this is what our forefathers did in 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 um in genesis or our forefathers did and this is what the feast this is what it's all about this is your heritage i never thought about i never thought about bringing all that together in a in a not a simple dinner but in a dinner with with the bomb food and the the desserts and you pull it all out it pulled all the stops out. I never thought about and that, bro. I, and here's the thing that's what's so beautiful. Like we don't we don't give enough praise to our wives in this. Um we right now our culture is going after our women because that's really um I'm trying to think of the exact verse right now, but the verse in the in the New Testament talks about that through the through women being lovable, loving their husbands and treating their families well, the beauty of that will win them to the gospel. Right. That's the, our biggest weapon. Our biggest weapon is the, the the beauty that our wives give to the home and to their families and to their husbands as as a taste of the beauty of the gospel. Mm. And when a when a wife sits up there and makes an apple pie for her family that changes a diaper or cleans the kitchen. Um, I love this book that came out from um, American Vision. It was called Diapers, Dishes, and Dominion. We don't understand the value, the absolute value of a wife in the creation of human souls that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I can't put enough impact on the beauty of our women giving themselves, first giving their bodies for nine months, and then going and giving themselves in food and decorating and and cleaning and creating sandwiches and, and just a little kiss, uh, uh, reminding them to love their brother. All that stuff right there is one of the best weapons that we have to show the beauty of the gospel to the rest of the world. And we sit up here and are trying to push our wives out of the most Come valuable position. That we can have in fighting the world. That's another form of warfare that we give up. And so, and I, I'm gonna tell you something, man. When, when we first had our kid, before we had kids, my wife was working and we were doing pretty good for ourselves. We were just getting our bills paid and she got pregnant two years into our marriage. And I was thinking to myself, man, there goes that income. Hmm. Now, when I did, I was like, okay, I wonder how long we can pay her grandma to babysit the kid. I was working all the numbers and man, I don't know what happened. I heard a sermon. And the Lord convicted me. I was crying. I called my wife because she wanted to quit her job. And I was like, yeah, let's hold off on that for a second. I called my wife crying because I used to edit sermons and do all kinds of production work for a wretched radio and wretched uh, TV. And so I hear all the sermons that come through. And I called her and said, baby, I'm sorry. I sinned. Forgive me. As soon as you have this baby, you can quit. Put in your two-week notice now and let's just be done because what I did and didn't know that I did was I put a higher value on my debt being paid off and working harder to pay it off by myself than I did the actual human soul that my wife was going to be taking care of. Wow. 
Yeah. And when I realized I did that, it it, it hurt me to the core. And, like, every, I, and you're not I, I alone in that. I think every man does that in this culture that tells you that getting money um, or getting the bag is is the the way of, of life. Like your your kids can go to yeah. school for eight hours <clears throat> and get um, what Vody Bakum say, become children of Caesar. Um, as long as you get in that bag, as long as you get in that money, your car look nice and all these other things that are will fade and 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 and, and rot. Yeah. And, and she, she, here she is, one to pour herself as a wife and a mother into a family, and I'm saying, you know what we can have, you know, <laughs> this. you know what we can we really can have, have, we can right. have French doors on our back, on our back door, it, and, and and it's like, is that worth it? Is a human soul worth that? It's like, no, it's not. That, and the values that we've misplaced the value, man. The, what God can do through. A parents fearing God and teaching their kids to love God's standard is far more, far more valuable and far more dangerous than whatever kind of house I could live in. You know, whatever kind of house I can live in, that that, that has no everlasting impact Amen. unless that house is used to cultivate the souls that God has given me. I love and the so war language, to- bro. You said far more dangerous, far more yeah. powerful. Like yeah. that's straight war language. I love it when it comes because right. no one thinks about the household. Uh, was it C.R. Wiley talks about that? Yes. Like, um, I read his book, the the the, the one about the cosmos. Um, yeah, and no one thinks about. The- yeah, yeah, no one yeah. thinks about the the house being dangerous and 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 nuclear, like like can jack up some stuff if it's in the right spot. Jack, you know, according to me, against the kingdom of darkness, obviously, but. It's a powerful thing. No one thinks about it like that. So when you said dangerous, I never would have thought like my wife is 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 giving the kingdom of darkness a couple of black eyes when she make that peanut butter jelly sandwich uh, right fast. Come on, preach, man, preach. I gotta hit my butt. Come on. Hey. <laughs> now you preaching now. You give me excited. You know, it, it's funny because I I would agree with just a little bit. The people who are thinking about it, Ben Merkel at the rally that we had in South Dakota. He said, listen, you might not be paedo-baptist or post-millennial, but the left is. Our enemy is is absolutely thinking about this. One of the things that destroyed the Black family the worst was the fact, I mean, Black family has been through a whole lot of stuff, man. We went through slavery. We went through all kinds of Jim Crow laws. And the Black family stayed intact so long as they didn't, um, we, we, we overcame a lot so long as they didn't play with the Black family. But as the New Deal came along, and they started playing with the structure of the black home and be paternal to the black home. That's when we saw the black family start to collapse after the thirties. We had not seen anything like that in the black family before slavery couldn't even do that to the black family, but the free handout and the couldn't even do that to the black family slavery. No, man, we, no, it was it wasn't the, the it wasn't the struggle that did it to us. It was the free gifts. It was the handouts oh. that did it to us. Because now, you know, and and that's and but and we should know that. I mean, that's how you that's how you get people to become slaves. We, and mentally, mentality, we were never slaves. Like mentally, mentality, we were never slaves until we started taking that free handout from the government as they tried to help us. Because what can what can you have in the house if you really wanted some good help? A man. You could not have a man. You couldn't have a mouse, right? And so who became, you don't just lose a man. Who became the new man? The government became the new daddy. We got you. We'll provide for you. We'll take care of you. We'll educate your kids for you. Mm. I remember some, I mean, people miss out on this, but Malcolm X and some of the old leaders least practically understood the importance of male headship and responsibility of men in the black home that they would have never never been comfortable with the type of structures that we have now you know and it's just amazing to me that we've given up and so as we restore those things in the black family Mm. power man we're not impotent anymore you know and and what's sad is um you know, you can't. I, my my uncle has said this. And I think he's right. Um, how we have treated black people in America has, one way or another, been like a um, a temperature gauge to how we're treating everybody else. So Hispanics, are we treating Hispanics better than we treated blacks? We, you know, we always are using that as a ruler. 
to gauge whether or not we're treating a minority group right. And we're doing it right now with the homosexual movement. Right? So are we discriminating against people? We don't discriminate against people. We mess that all up as related to blacks. <clears throat> so black people, you can't, you know, the how you treat the minority among you is usually how the rest of society is gonna go. And right now, just the way that we've treated the black home, white homes aren't doing too much better as it relates to divorce now. It's it's starting to catch up. Hmm. Sin sin is not sustainable. Right? And so you create you they did that in a way of trying to help. You know, I I really believe that they were trying to help. Um, but one of the things that uh, Frederick Douglass said when he talked about what shall we do with the Negro, his response was do nothing with the Negro. Leave him alone. Don't try and prop him up because if he can't stand up with his own two feet, he'll never be able to stand up. And black people would have done so much better without the help. We were doing really good. And we could have continued to do good if we were able to compete without the government trying to come in and help us. Mm-hmm. That's a sidebar. That was for free. Oh, yeah. yeah. But and there's a whole lot of things that we can get into uh, the, the bombing of certain um, cities or towns that had black economies yeah. going real good. And, you know, uh, black Street. Yeah, yeah yeah and you know the the, the, the tuskegee pro uh, experiments that uh that we haven't forgot about so that's why we're not getting a vaccine uh <laughs> so Ain't gonna happen. it's just not gonna happen no I'm, um I, I don't know go ahead when people started like for like forget stuff. like when do we when do people start forgetting that stuff you know it's, it's funny to me like we talk about systemic racism and things like that and critical race theory, and I'm not a big fan of those things at all. I right. have some problems, but I'm not going to ask some of the problems that we have legit. We really do have some legit problems. And one of the things that I do have that, that I have noticed about critical race theory is that it has pointed out some of those problems, but it's not pointing out all of the right problems. Um, you can't have abortion for the last 60 years and kill millions, millions of black babies and not think right. that there's a problem and going to create some sort of systemic problem. Right. Yeah, you're going to have something like that. You're going to have a problem. If, if we want to point out um, minimum wage laws, we just talked about this on the show today. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's racist by default. The whole thing that we got minimum wage because black people were willing to hustle and work hard in the on the East Coast. They came up from the South. I think it was like Virginia or something like that or South Carolina. And they were working hard and the white white Northerners were like, these people are taking our jobs because they're willing to work hard for lower amounts of money and, and you guys are paying them. And so what they did was unionized and created minimum laws to be able to stop those hardworking black people from being able to make money. Guess what the unions mostly were? Racist white people. Democrats. Keep I mean, their people in, in power. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, did you say that? Yeah, Oops. Democrats. <laughs> But I mean, they don't or the fact that gun legislation, the first gun legislation laws that we see in America, I think that I can find are 1667, I think something like that, 1664, 1667, somewhere around there. And the laws were made to keep guns out of the hands of uh, slaves, black slaves, not just black slaves, though, freed black men. So it applied to both slaves, black slaves, and free black men. Now, I'm a little interested. I don't necessarily have a problem with the way the Bible deals with biblical slavery. I'm for biblical slavery. I think it's actually a form of restitution. But if the biggest problem I have with that particular law is that if you have to remove guns from your slaves, you're doing it wrong. Abraham didn't have that problem. Abraham's mighty man were some bad dudes who knew how to kill some folks and take them out to the point they had to go get Lot. He right. didn't want his slaves being deadly. That's because he's a good master. His slaves loved him so much, and they had such a great relationship with each other that they were ones who were going to inherit his wealth. Right? You know what I mean? To the point that they're going out looking for sons, looking for a wife for his son. That's that's the relationship that he had with them. So whatever that is, it's not what that law was in 1667. <laughs> right? right? That's a bad form of slavery. Whatever that is, that's a whole different whole different ball game, right? But those laws kept building up over time to the point that almost every gun law that came into place was to limit black people or class people, certain people, a particular class, low white class, from ever owning guns. And so if we ever wanted to look to uh, a form of systematic 
situations that have been embedded in the system. Why don't why does it that the left or my friends on the social justice side never say, man, we got to do away with gun legislation because it's racist? Are they they're because they don't they don't know that it wasn't taught in schools? You gotta you gotta open up like you can't Google that because Google will bounce you around. Uh, you gotta actually yeah. open up a couple books and go to the library <laughs> or something or buy a couple books. Um, I, I was being than you are you being mean. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just saying, like, there's, you can't Google those things, or you'll get a, you'll just get bounced around to a talking point from, uh, I don't know, somebody, uh, uh, MSNBC well, or something just, random. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm willing to talk to you about systemic racism because I think systemic racism has actually enslaved all of us. Because what happened with those gun laws after the Civil War? In 19 or 1867, um, 18, yeah, 18, right after Reconstruction, so it's 1867. What happened was um, those laws didn't end up going away. Those gun legislative laws didn't get end up going away. What they end up doing was removing who they applied to. Mm. So they didn't apply to black men anymore. They they scraped that off, and they didn't actually remove the laws. No, they made those to be fair to everybody. They made those laws apply to everybody. So systemically, we started this way, and then we removed who they applied to, and we made the problem worse, so now everybody is under those kind of laws. And so, like, yeah, we can have those conversations. I'm willing to, I'm with you. Let's stop systemic racism, and let's get rid of government schools, and Period. let's get rid of gun legislation. Government schools got to go, you. and I work for one, and they yeah. got to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, one, la one last question. Um, because we 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 are beautiful. You're doing a great job, <laughs> but because you're giving us too much sauce right now, how can we, as as biblical men, with our households, with our homes? I think you hit on it. How can we fight against tyrants? How can we fight against tyrants? I know this is your bread and butter. I'm giving you a softball pass. Like, go. <laughs> okay. Um. I think the f easiest way to fight against tyrants is not to be one yourself. Oh, that's the best way to fight against tyrants. I'm a covenant believer, which means that we don't have the rulers that we don't deserve. All the rulers that we currently have are the rulers that we deserve because they represent us rightly. The way that God works in a society is covenantally. If you are sinning or have been a particular way, you can expect that your judgment will follow that particular thing. So the way that we've been governing our households apart from God's standard, apart from God's law, the way that we've been tyrants with how we treated our wives, our children, our neighbors by being autonomous, that's what a tyrant is. A tyrant is someone who is autonomous to God's standard, steps outside of God's standard. We have been so autonomous that God has given us the very flavor that we've been producing in our homes. And so... If we want to stand against tyrants, the first thing that we need to do is we need to get on our knees and slaughter that little tyrant in our hearts. Are you being a tyrant? I mean, it, it, and it's so, it's so it's so basic. Are we not loving our wives? Are we not bringing up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If you're sending your kids to government school, you're you're operating outside of the way that God has called you to operate as a father to take that responsibility. The way that tyrants come upon us is people are abdicating their responsibility. Oh, and as and as husbands, we've been abdicating our responsibility knowingly or unknowingly for a very long time. And so the fruit that we're seeing that we don't like is is that must that we are smelling is coming from our own underarms. That is our must. Mm. That's we're the thinking. And so we're the ones who need to go take a bath and a shower. Remember when they wrote the constitution, it was so good. Um, the, the constitution itself was for a moral people. And if you don't have a moral people, it don't matter what you write on it. It's not going to be kept. Ooh. And so until we ourselves become a moral people who fear the Lord, we are rightfully being governed by the tyrants that we currently have. And so, man, this starts at such a ground level. I mean, we have been so tied to our own sins. And I, I, I'm hit the one that I see the most right now inside of our society, which is pornography. When you are tied to a vice, you become a slave to that vice and that vice rules you. 
Well, you're breaking the first and second commandment. You've let someone else be Lord and you've submitted yourself to that Lordship. And, the and so image. like the, oh my the, that any vice, right? And so that goes with any vice. Um, and so we need to be people that are free from vices. Um, one of the things as a man that we forget, and Doug Wilson has really helped me with this, our strength that God has given us, our our, our vibrato, rah, you know, all that stuff that God's given it is to be not tough on our family, but strong and tough for our family. Those mm. things are given to you that strength to resist your own temptations and lust through the spirit. Mm. That's what that strength is for. And so right now, a lot of my friends are trying to, they want to run and go grab their guns and be able to fight these tyrants and all these other things. And I'm with that, but use that strength first to bring yourself under the discipline of the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to his standards and what he's called you to do. Are you cultivating joy in your home or people think that you're a mean dad? Do your kids love you? You know what I mean? Come on now. Like that's real talk. So if, if you're not running your house tyrant free, then you can't, you're not ready to look up here and say, I'm, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to be under uh, this authority. I don't like, no, no, no. You are running your house. You are managing your budget. You are spending your money in the same way that the federal government and everybody you consider a tyrant is. There is no difference between the two of you. And so that's why you have the leaders that you have. And so our first duty and first responsibility as we look at self-government and say, Lord, give me the wisdom and the strength to be able to discipline myself according to your word and apply it in my life with my family full of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? Full of joy. And let my kids taste that joy and say, wow, daddy, God is good. They can taste that and they can, I mean, um, we have this false dichotomy between natural and spiritual, man. When you are feeding your kids at the table while you're singing Psalms and God's word, that is fuel for them, not just in the natural, but in the spirit as well. And they get to taste the goodness of the Lord and they taste that and they look at the world and it's like, man, the world ain't got nothing that tastes like this. Wow. You know, that's, that's because you're acting like a free man um, who fears God. And until you start acting like that, you, you, you're, you're the biggest tyrant we got to deal with. It's not out there. It's in here. Hey, man. Look, heroes. That is, I don't, I don't understand. Like you, I look, look, heroes. That's all we gotta say about that. That's all we gotta say about that, heroes. Until next time, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong out there. Peace. I want-